there, folks, over at CommanderCast.com and MTGCast.com. It's time for another shot at this episode. Isn't that right, Noel? Uh, yeah, something Cosmic will be displeased with us that we didn't get our episode out on time again. But mm-hmm. uh, Unfortunately, we lost a recording. We are recording it the day immediately after, and we're trying to uh, sort everything out. But uh, we will be rehashing some old emails, some old card previews, and some new card previews. Because, uh, lucky for us, a bunch of new Legendaries and Planeswalkers uh, were spoiled in the time that are uh, in between when we recorded the episode and when we realized that it didn't record. So it's kind of a blessing in disguise, maybe. Sure, we'll go with that. Uh, For those of you who are trying to catch up here, uh, normally we release on uh, the Thursday, so it would have been March 17th, which happens to be the day we're recording this now. Mm. Uh, We had recorded last Tuesday. And since then, part of the perils of being a pseudo-news organization during spoiler season is that news happens between recording and publication. Mm-hmm. So for us, this gives us more stuff to talk about. Um, Absolutely. It's a little bit more timely in our uh, stuff coming through. But Yep, we're going to have uh, lots of legendaries and lots of planeswalkers. Kind of a glut of planeswalkers for a single set yeah, to we're talk about. Yeah, we're up to four? That seems, like high. that seems high, but... I think we're at five, actually. I might be wrong, though. I count four. Okay, cool. Um, Then we're going to... Uh, but before that, we're going to talk about some emails. Uh, and if we have time at the end, we will move into a topic. If not, we'll, uh, we'll save it for another day, because it's a good topic. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll play it by ear. It's going to kind of depend on episode length, but then again, I realized that I can just cut all this and make it look like we had a plan the whole time. So. Yeah. Let's not do that. We're trying to be, we're trying to be open and clear with our fans. (laughs) All right. Uh, do we want to start with the emails? Um, sure, because the emails kind of bleed into, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of bleed into our, uh, into the spoilers a little bit today. Yep. Uh, I just have one email to mention from George. Uh, and George was saying that he liked our episode on the Naya Super Friends decklist and that he had uh, also made a Super Friends decklist, but his is Abzan. And he runs maybe three creatures in it. They're all Anthem effects. But he's going to take some of the things we suggested for our Naya deck and uh, stick them in his Absan deck. For example, I believe he hadn't thought of the uh, using the green Saka creature proliferate guy. Yeah, Plague Which is Mobby. awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I also have an email about the uh, Naya Walkers episode. And we get to play the game of... Hey, Noel said something wrong, rules related on the podcast. Oh no, Noel did something bad. Yep, Noel, Noel did a bad thing, brought shame to the Judge Dojo. Right, yeah, um, I'll punish myself later. But, uh, um, I was trying to remember the word, is it flagate? Flag- yeah. Okay. It, flagate yourself later? Yeah, I was trying to remember how to pronounce that word. But anyway, this is from David, this is the person who originally asked us for that, uh, for the Nia Walkers, after I kept making jokes about it during, uh the Oath of the Gatewatch review, and uh, it says, I'm really happy you and Eric did a Let's Build for the Naya Walkers deck. You guys are really awesome, and I feel like you are one of the few podcasts that really takes their listeners into account. Aww. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's that's actually a fine point, is that we'd way rather talk about what you guys want to talk about than arguments we make up. Absolutely. So, uh, as far as the Naya Walkers deck, you had some really awesome suggestions. 
I'm going to try to proxy up a list so I can give it a whirl. It should be fun. I'm also going to throw in McKay's, the Luminarch, Staff of Nim, and Assembled Legions, as I consider them to be almost like Planeswalkers without actually being a Planeswalker. I really wish we would have thought of McKayus during the thing, because that card's real good. Yep, uh, and if McKayus counts as almost a Planeswalker, then you absolutely have to run Jaya Ballard in it, because Jaya Ballard was the prototype for what Planeswalkers would become. Sure. Um, and yeah, and, and once again, like as with all of our Let's Builds, there's not like there's a list at the end. I mean, add stuff to flavor. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Then uh, here's where I messed up. Unfortunately, your suggestion for Ghostly Prison doesn't quite work the way that I think you want it to. It's my understanding that Ghostly Prison only adds the tax to creatures that are attacking you and does not add attacking to your Planeswalkers, which I learned the hard way while playing in my Asphyria Fog Super Friends deck. Uh, in order to protect your walkers, you need something like Sphere of Safety instead, which would be really great considering all the enchantments you support for tokens. And he's absolutely correct. I messed that up. I, I was thinking of Sphere of Safety-esque cards, and there's a couple other ones that say creatures can't attack unless you pay the thing, not attack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, more global ones. Not work how I want it to. In fact, it may actually be bad because it actively focuses people onto your planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I messed up. Oopsie daisies. Mm-hmm. Now yep. you get to wear the Cone of Shame. Yep. I do not like the Cone of Shame. <laughs> No one likes the Cone of Shame. Wear it anyway. By the way, this Nia Walker's deck just got way better, but we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. Lots of new stuff to play with. Uh, is there any other emails? Yeah, um, my other email is from Alex. Alex actually writes for uh, General Damage Control, and I met him at the last Chief in Minneapolis, gosh, a couple years ago now. Okay. But, uh, <clears throat> send us an email. Hey, Noel, two questions, one being a rules question. One, I have Pawn of Ulamog and Pestilence in play. I activate Pestilence six times. The Pestilence triggers will kill the Pawn of Ulamog, but would it also kill the token created by the Pawn of Ulamog's death trigger as well? For those of you who don't know what those cards are, Pawn of Ulamog says when it or another creature dies, put an 0-1 uh, Eldrazi, not, a, not Scion, Eldrazi spawn uh, onto the battlefield, and uh, Pestilence has Black activate, deal one damage to each creature and player. Mm-hmm. And I guessed correctly on this one last time we recorded this, didn't I? Uh, it's that, yes, the token does die because it's not a single X damage trigger. It's multiple instances of a single point of damage that resolve independently. Yeah, what ends up happening is your first two Pestilence triggers, pestilence triggers resolve. Uh, uh, Pawn of Ulamog dies. Uh, its ability goes on the stack. It resolves. Then those other four Pestilence triggers resolve. So you end up with a very, very dead Eldrazi uh, Scion or Eldrazi Spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, his other question is, will I be at GP Minneapolis in 2016? If so, let's meet up for some EDH or a draft. I do plan on being in uh, Minneapolis in 2016. Um, would love to meet up. If anyone else is planning on going, let me know. Hit me up on Facebook, or, tw- or not Facebook, on uh, Twitter or uh, via my email, and we'll set something up, absolutely. Um, I don't know what days I'll be working or how busy I'll be, but we'll try to set something up. Yep. Uh, I will not be there, but uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, uh, but why not, Eric? Because I am moving again. But I finally found an apartment. I'm no longer apartment hunting. Thank God. This is the part where we make fun of Eric for because that was his excuse the last time I was in Minneapolis. I would I would look forward to a time when I don't have to move constantly. <laughs> that'd be that'd be super cool. Yeah, this is also the halfway point between uh our like actual living places, so it makes perfect sense. But no, somebody has to move again. Yeah, someone has to relocate all their belongings and pay rent and stuff. <laughs> all right, um, let's get. Shall we get into some of these sweet, sweet cards? Yes, we should get into some of these sweet, sweet cards because there are some cards that I know I love. There's one here that I'm like, huh, 
that's Eric's jam. Yes, yes it is. Uh, there is some awesome cards that we covered in the last time we talked about these spoilers. Some awesome cards that just got spoiled. And uh, we're going to go through them all. Do we want to do Planeswalkers or Legendaries first? Uh, let's talk... I guess we can talk about Walkers first. All right, cool. Uh, so it seems like uh, someone at Magic Dev was uh, also a way a fan of our Naya Walkers deck because they decided to print a bunch of cards for it. Right? Like, we got two really kind of saucy, uh, um, a, uh, kind of saucy cards for mm-hmm. that. Two um, super cool new cards. Yeah, let's talk about Nahiri first, because she was spoiled first, I guess. Yeah, uh, absolutely. This is Nahiri the Harbinger, which brings up an interesting question, and that question is, Harbinger of what, Nahiri? <laughs> yeah, what is it that you're harbinging all over, uh, all over Innistrad? We know, we know from various flavor texts that she... Spoiler alert, she's making these things called cryptoliths. Uh, we also know that she is, um, uh, we also know that she is going to force, uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. We know that she's going to force Soren to kill Avacyn. Uh, we also know that she's blowing up, uh, Soren's house. Stuff is going wrong, and Nahiri, it would seem, is supremely pissed off. So we want to know what she's harbinging. Hella mad at Soren. And <clears throat> sticking vampires in walls. Yep, blowing up his house, sticking all his friends in a wall, making him kill his favorite creation. Mm-hmm. Nahiri is pissed off. Soren did something real bad. Soren like slept with Nahiri's sister and then didn't call her back, or he uh, he he borrowed her car and returned it without a full tank of gas. He did something really <clears throat> terrible to piss off Nahiri this much. Yeah, it's uh. It's bad. I keep looking at the pictures of vampires stuck in walls. I'm like, huh, that looks like it would take a long time to die and hurt the entire time. Yeah, that looks like an experience that's incredibly uncomfortable. The worst part is, is that she sticks them so their, like, top halves are hanging out and their bottom halves are stuck in the wall. And she makes their feet really itchy. Ooh. (laughs) Just, like, the cruelest of tortures. Yeah, uh, speaking of Sorens, there's... Uh, we haven't actually talked about Nahiri the card yet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Nahiri the Harbinger as an actual card is uh, red, white, and two for a Planeswalker. Nahiri starts at four loyalty, has a plus two of you may discard a card if you do draw a card, minus two exile target enchantment, tapped artifact or tapped creature, and minus eight, search your library for an artifact or creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, it gains haste, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. I love this Planeswalker. I think it's really, really good. I like that it's four cost. Uh, four cost or cheaper is where like really great walkers live. Um, I think that the both of the first two abilities are relevant. Uh, the card fixing in Boros is huge, and the ability to do removal is super great. I also think that that last ability is awesome, mostly because I've been waiting to see a sneak attack variation on a planeswalker for a while now it's been one of those like red things that i'm kind of uh, i think that that and the kikijiki ability are the red things that i've been waiting to see happen um and this sneak attack is very good because you tutor your library and then it goes back to your hand you don't even sacrifice it mm-hmm. can you imagine if sundering titan was in the legal in the format and doing this i don't want to oh, don't make me so Please don't <laughs> Yeah, that would be that'd be incredibly unpleasant. It's for reasons like that that Sundering Titan is banned. Yeah, add reason number five hundred and twenty-eight to the reasons why Sundering Titan should be banned in Commander. Yeah. 
Um, but you were mentioning something about Soren. Yeah, Soren got spoiled today too, and he's also sweet. He's yeah, he's this sweet. Feels but like he's a, a, this feels like an EDH planeswalker. Like, it is definitely an EDH planeswalker. Yeah, this thing is big, scary, and terrifying. This is Soren Grim Nemesis. And I just want to throw out there that Soren in this art, like this art, really stands out to me in that it looks like it looks like D and D art. Yeah, Soren is not just wearing, like, his usual coat. One, I don't like this art very much. I don't think it's done quite as well as uh, some of the other arts we've seen of Soren. Uh-huh. But he's not wearing his usual coat. Like, he, I'm, it, it is his usual coat, but it is covered in way more pronounced armor than we're used to. Yeah, it also doesn't look like, it doesn't look like magic art, which is kind of weird. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It looks, it looks a little off. It looks a little different, uh, and not necessarily in a good way. I'm not terribly fond of it. Uh, the worst part is I'm looking at this card on Mythic Spoiler, and I'm seeing three different Soren arts directly underneath it, and all of them are better. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, Soren Grim Nemesis costs black, white, and four. So a hefty investment, but you kind of get your money's worth. Starts mm-hmm. at six loyalty, which is just about enough to keep it alive. Then uh, it's plus one is reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to its converted mana cost. So it's like uh, evil or Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's um the the reveal the top card is good, really good if you can customize the top of your deck. Otherwise, it's a big gamble because no matter what EDH deck you're playing, your deck is mostly lands. Sure. Um, but even then, like worst case scenario, I'm getting an extra card every turn. That's fair, but six mana draw a card is not good. No, but six mana, I have a Planeswalker at seven loyalty draw a card. Yeah, if you have stuff out to defend it. And yeah. that minus ability, I see, I feel like Soren gets played at six for removal and then sits there drawing cards for the next several turns uh, until he dies. Like, you play him and you minus, like, four him to hit something relatively big, gain some life, and then you start drawing cards with him. And that's really good. But it's... Still, I'm not sure it's six mana good. Soren, Soren's minus X ability. His next ability is Soren uh, Grim Nemesis deals X damage to a creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. Minus X abilities on planeswalkers are pretty sweet. Yeah. Especially when they're death grasp. Yeah, and this thing starts at six. Like You could kill some pretty big stuff. Yeah. And then minus nine. This, this, uh, this is awesome but laughable uh mm-hmm. put a number of one one black vampire knight creature tokens with lifelink onto the battlefield equal to the highest life total amongst all players yep that's a lot of little vampires yeah i just want to uh tell aloro to suck it personally <laughs> yeah uh oh, it's and- in an aloro deck too because it's, it's not opponent it's players yep um it is it is reasonable if you play this guy out while protected, you could get that ultimate fairly quickly. It's three turns of ticking up, which yeah. is not bad. Um, but I don't think people are going to let you do that. Yeah, I, if this resolves, you probably win. Well, maybe not, but... not Like, not even. They could just sweep you, and then you're sad. Yeah, but still, that's a ridiculously high number of come-into-play triggers. That's a lot of 1-1 one, one, uh, life-linking vampires. Yeah. All of the uh, Soul Sisters triggers, too. All of them. <laughs> Cathar's Crusade. Yeah! <laughs> Watch me snap this card in half. Yeah. Or I'll draw all the cards I want with Mentor of the Beak. Alrighty, we have two more Planeswalkers to talk about. Um, 
which one do you think goes first? Um, let's talk about Jace now, so you can get your like downy all another blue planeswalker thing out of the way, so we can go hyped into the legends. All right, fair enough. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'd be downy another blue planeswalker. I'm kind of downy another Jace. This is also true, but this Jace Even, is sweet. This Jace is okay. He's he's pretty good. He, he, he you know what? I give him a solid B plus. Yeah, this Jace is real solid. This is Jace Unraveler of Secrets. Uh, Jace costs five, uh, blue, blue, and three. Uh, obviously, Planeswalker Jace starts at five loyalty. His plus one is scry one, then draw a card. Yeah, and that's Rem- a good ability. Remember when, like, we have to lose loyalty to draw cards? Yeah, not anymore, apparently. Yeah, this card. Um, then minus two, return target creature to its owner's hand. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell this each turn, counter that spell. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Arayo, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's not fun. Nobody likes Arayo. <laughs> this is, uh, this also, you have the ultimate before you get to Arayo people. It's not like Arayo decks where you just had it. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, no, this, this thing is super solid. Again, maybe, like, one cost too expensive. I feel like if they had made this another four cost, Jace, and then made it starting loyalty, like, three instead of five, people would be a lot more excited about it. But, like, as it stands right now, it's not bad. It's just a, a solid blue planeswalker. Yeah, this is a, I kind of dig this card. Like, like yeah. I said, increase loyalty to draw card. Not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I'm not hard to impress. <laughs> and, like, the ability to boomerang someone's creature, that's that's not bad either. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to decide if this is my favorite art of Jace. It's not. Mind Sculptor's obviously better. Yeah, I like Mind Sculptor. This is probably my second favorite, though. Probably, because he's hiding his perpetually stupid-looking hair. That's true. He also doesn't have the, uh, um, oh, left hand, what secret do you keep from me look that M15 Jace had. Uh, what? Look at the look at the M15 Jace, where it's Jace the Living Guild Pact, where he's staring at his glowing hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's not like here where he's trying to like interpret the the runes that are popping out from his hand. It's just literally his hand is glowing. <laughs> I've got the touch. Yeah, I've got the power. Literally, oh right hand, what secrets do you hide from me? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this is, it's a super solid Jace, um, I still ain't playing blue, but I, I, this is not something for me to get salty about, this is not overpowered at all. Yeah, this is a, this is a solid Planeswalker. Mm Mm-hmm. And moving on to... You have interesting and solid Planeswalkers. Uh, this is, this is way more interesting (laughs) than any other Planeswalker in the set, I think. This is true, because I have no idea how to evaluate this card. I know I like it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's objectively good. I know it's good for me, but I don't know if it's objectively good. Um, and this is Arlen Cord, our new female uh, werewolf planeswalker. Yeah, two and <laughs> two and Gruel, so a total of four for a uh, planeswalker Arlen that starts with three loyalty. And on her human side, she's got two abilities: a plus one, which uh, gives until end of turn one of your creatures gains plus two, plus two, vigilance and haste, which is awesome. That's a super cool ability. Uh, she also has a zero ability that puts a two-two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield and then flips her. On her flip side, she is the fluffiest looking werewolf I've ever seen. She is really fluffy looking. She, she like like most of the werewolves on Innistrad look frightening. She looks kind of huggable. Yeah, she, they all of them look shaggy, except for this one. Yeah, she's like, 
she's like the koala werewolf. Anyway, uh, she, and the werewolf has three abilities. A plus one that gives creatures you control plus one, plus one, and trample until end of turn. A minus one, which uh, lets her lightning bolt. Um, uh, the creature de- or the planeswalker deals uh, three damage to target creature or player and then transforms back into human form. Uh, or minus six, you get an el- emblem with creatures you control have haste and they have tap. This creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player, which is my favorite emblem I have ever seen ever. <laughs> yeah, this card is sweet. Um. I don't know if it's any good or not. Like, I look I at it, and it's like, it's, uh... Oh, whatchamacallit. It's, uh, Huntmaster of the Fells. Huntmaster of the Fells was good. Yeah. The only reason Huntmaster of the Fells wasn't played in EDH is because you couldn't consistently transform it. Mm-hmm. This, on the other hand, you can choose to transform it any time. Yeah. Now, a couple things that have come up, some rules questions I've been asked about this card already. Okay. This doesn't work like the, uh, Origins... Flipwalkers that exile themselves then come back. Yes. So you cannot go infinite by going like, well, how come I can't go, we'll flip it down, flip it, we'll flip it uh, down, flip <laughs> it up. I'm like, that'd be that'd be terrifying because that'd be, what, three dudes? Uh, that's three dudes and nine damage. Yeah, like that's that seems pretty good. Yeah, no, that's not how that works. You get one trigger off, her, off of either one of her side. Each turn, you don't get uh, you don't get to go infinite off of one card. That's not that's not right. <laughs> also, it's worth noting that this is it has the planeswalker type on both sides and the same planeswalker type. So you can't go, you can't have like with Origins Jace, you could have Flippy Jace and it flipped on the same uh, turn. This one, not so much. Yeah. Don't, um, don't cast your second one until the first one's gone. Exactly. Uh, I think this is super cool. I also was thinking about it the other day, and I was happy when I thought about it, because I realized that Arlen is kind of filling a vacancy, where we, with the death of Elspeth, we didn't really have any physically imposing female walkers. Like, we didn't have any female walkers who you think could, like, stand up in a scrap. Like, if you... What I'm saying is that if you told me that Chandra punched Gideon in the face and hurt him, you believe it. You're like, okay, Gideon's a big dude, but he's just a dude. But if Chandra punched Obnixilus in the face, you would not believe it. You'd be like, oh, okay, Chandra punched him and she shattered her hand. Whereas Gideon can get into an extended wrestling match with Obnixilus and you totally buy it. They Like, he, Gideon is physically a threat. Uh, Garrick is physically, like, using his body, he could just kill you. Uh, Obnixilus, obviously, the same way. And you believed that about Elspeth, too. Mm-hmm. You didn't really think that, like, Elspeth wasn't no slouch. If Elspeth got cut off from magic, she could still take out a room full of guys easily. And she was kind of the only chick planeswalker that did that. Arlen can do that. Arlen yeah. is scary as hell. She definitely strikes me as a fighter rather than just a mage. Exactly. Nahiri, kind of? It's hard well. to read Nahiri right now. Like, yeah. We have so little actual story with her that you go, I don't know. Yes, and she's always seen carrying a sword around, but she barely ever uses it. She mostly, like, traps people in rocks. So, like, Arlen is really cool because she gets into, like, the heavyweight physical contender category of 
planeswalkers just by virtue of being a werewolf. Like, if you put Obnixilis and her in a ring, I don't know who would walk away. Because she can turn into a friggin' werewolf. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Yep. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on now. We got a bunch of legendary creatures to talk about, too. We do have a bunch of legendary creatures to talk about. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with... I think we should start with the actual mono-white one to get yes. the the least exciting one out of the way. I would agree. However, before we do, we do have a a notation. There is technically a fifth legendary creature that has been revealed. Oh, sure. There's the land that turns into a, like, 9-7... Flying, era. hasty, life-linking, indestructible demon. Yeah. Card is cool. Card, Card is cannot cool. be a commander. Exactly. So this is a card that we will talk about later. Um, obviously, that demon is terrifying, but he's never going to be the general of your deck. So we will uh, we will mention him later on. Yep, this works just like the knife that was in Dark Ascension. Yes, exactly. The Erebus, the Binding Blade, doesn't get to be your general, so it doesn't get mentioned in our preset review. Right. So let's talk about the guy who... when. Okay, folks, unfortunately, this is some content that you lose in our uh, in our last recording, in that Noel didn't initially know how to feel about him, and then I kind of talked you into him, I think. Yeah, he's, first of all, on, well, the card we're talking about is Odric Luminarch Marshall, which is OD version 2, is mm-hmm. uh, white and 3 for a legendary creature, human soldier, 3-3, three, three, and has at the beginning of each combat, creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn if you control a creature with first strike. And then it's true for Flying, Death Touch, Double Strike, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Reach, Skulk, Trample, and Vigilance. All the evergreen keywords we have right now. And basically. Skulk. Uh, I think Skulk is going to be an evergreen one. Oh, is it? I think that that's the idea, yeah. Okay, so yes. And I was not originally sold in this card because I like cards that do things on their own, don't need other cards to make them good. Mm-hmm. And this kind of has a build-your-own-Acromas memorial feel to it. Absolutely. Which, I guess, and, and the thing that I was trying to be too big-pictured on it, like, this card mm-hmm. is sweet with someone else who has an Acroma's worth of keywords on it. This plus in a white Acroma deck is awesome. Exactly. And the big point that I was making was that this guy, I think, is not a super strong general. However, he's an amazing card in any deck where the general already has a keyword like that. Because you can give it to everyone. If you put this guy in a Kalemne deck, when you go to combat, all of your creatures have Vigilance and Double Strike. And you consistently have access to that keyword ability. So I think that it's cool once you you stick him in as, as a support card in the 99 in a white and X deck that has a keyword, abili- keyword abilities on its general. If you put this in a Gisela deck, all your creatures would have Flying and First Strike just for the fact that you played him alongside your general. And that's pretty cool. And I think I was trying to get too big with it. Yeah. Like, this with just a flyer is probably okay. Or this with, this, yeah. this with just flying in haste is sweet. Exactly. Uh, if you, you don't have to get crazy with it. You uh, don't have to go, like, completely over the top. That being said, you do get a lot more mileage out of some cards that are, like, m- marginally useful with their keywords. For example, if you're playing a Celestia deck, of any kind, if you play, like, Sigarda, okay, you play this guy, suddenly all your creatures have flying and hexproof, that's super cool. Next turn, you play Acidic Slime to blow something up, and suddenly all your creatures have Death Touch, because someone thought to put that ability on an Acidic Slime. 
and you get to reap a lot of these weird fringe benefits. All of your creatures have flying if you still control a bird of paradise when this guy enters play. Mm-hmm. So it's... He, I don't think he's a good general. I would not build around him. I think that people would keep blowing up your keyword creatures or keep blowing up him if they saw him as your general. But as a surprise in one of the 99, I think he's great. He's probably great in some, like, X and white combat focus deck. Exactly. Any kind of... Any kind of not quite Voltron, but going to the red zone to win? Mm-hmm. Totally good. Sure. Um, uh, so let's talk about Sigarda next, because I'm pretty sure you're going to, like, your favorite and my favorite are not Sigarda, so... No, this Sigarda, I think, is almost, like, patently less good than the last Sigarda. However, it's extraordinarily flavorful. Yeah, and the art is sweet. Indeed. This um, is Sigarda Heron's Grace. And it is green, white, and three for a 4-5 legendary creature angel. It has flying. You and humans you control have hexproof. Then two, exile a card from your graveyard. Put a 1-1 white human soldier creature token onto the battlefield. Yeah. The idea with this is that Sigarda is your meat shield. You, she's, she's the last bulwark of angels protecting humanity. Yeah. Um, this card is super flavorful. Is green, white, humans a thing? Uh, it is now. <laughs> I was talking to my buddy, trying to get him to make a Rafik of the Many Bant Humans deck, which he's like kind of into the idea of, because that deck could win just because you're playing Rafik. Uh-huh. But there's also like a lot of the really good Rafik cards, stuff like Champion of Lambholt or uh, Invisible Stalker, are already humans. Sure. So it's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and this is probably one that I'm I'm un- I'm underestimating how often human shows up as a creature type. Mm-hmm. Like, I threw uh, Champion of the Parish in my cube thinking it would be okay. Turns yep. out it's freaking awesome. Like, there's a lot of cards with the creature type human, so mm-hmm. maybe I'm maybe I'm undervaluating this card, but I almost rather just have a good... Like, is Old Sigarda that bad? <laughs> no. Old Sigarda is much better than this. What this is is a new... A general for a new kind of deck. Sure. Which is cool and exciting. The reason you and I are both disappointed in it is because as soon as we see this card, we're going to know what's in the deck. That could There's be it. one deck you make with Cigar to Heron's Grace. It is green-white, tribal humans. We It will be going to attack. It will probably play some support equipment. It will uh, it'll play the Mentor of the Meek, almost certainly. It'll play stuff like you just said, Champion of the Parish. It'll probably play Champion of Lambhold. All sorts of other, like, it'll play good cards, but... Unexciting we, cards. We know what's in that deck. Yep. So, it's a cool card, don't get me wrong, and I like that that deck can exist, but I'm not interested in making that deck, therefore I'm never going to be interested in this card. Yeah, and that's fair. Like, that's that's where I'm kind of at on it, too. That's where I kind of landed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, super flavorful, super pretty. I think this card is still a win. It's just not exciting to me personally. Sure. Uh, moving on, do we want to talk about a card that's very exciting to you personally, Noel? Sure, we can get my jam out of the way, and then you can do yours next, because I'm pretty sure I heard your erection from here when I saw the other one. Yes, yes, you did. Um, it, is, it, it is throbbing in this in the microphone. Can you hear it, Noel? That's a little awkward, but yeah. Should um, I put it the microphone closer? Please do not put your penis in the microphone. Um, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh, okay, and, I've recovered. And We're this good. This is how we get an explicit tag. Uh, all right. Um, so 
the one that I am super excited about that is my jam is this new Archangel Avison. Mm-hmm. This is white, white, and three for a legendary angel. Four, four has flash, flying, vigilance. When Archangel Avison enters the battlefield, creatures you control are indestructible until end of turn. And when a non-angel creature you control dies, transform Archangel Avison at the beginning of the next upkeep. And when she transforms, oh, does she transform? She turns into Avison the Purifier, who is mono-red. She goes up to a 6-5, still flying, and when this creature transforms, it deals 3 damage to each other creature and each opponent. This is something unique in that something we haven't seen before. It is a Boros Control General. Yeah, that's that's exactly, it's the poster child for big Boros decks. Mm -hmm. Like, I look at this, I'm like, huh, this Arulia, Gisela... Uh, Kalemne, I'm like, yeah, we're gonna have some big dopeys, like, and the fact that my general doubles as, uh, Anger the Gods? Yep. Like, I'm just gonna make sure that any of my dudes I either want to die, or can survive taking three damage when she flips, and just, I get low-level Wraths, or, hey, I can throw out this Boros card and prevent a Wrath on my side of the board. Yeah, like, this is, you don't even have to play big Boros with this, this could just be, like, Boros, like, Spell control and lockdown. You can play like grindy Boros with this, uh, which is cool. It it opens up a completely new archetype, which is always exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also gonna be gorgeous in foil. Evil Avacyn may be wearing her goth clothes, but like with the fire burning in the background and the red tip on her wings, it's gonna be cool looking. Yeah. Um. This also is just. This only costs five. Like very cheap. Yeah. This this can get jammed in a lot of existing decks. Mm-hmm. As, like, the top end or a surprise in something like Annex and Samidi, or um, yeah. even, like, some Naya decks that just curl up and die to a Wrath. Like, this is a way better Wrath insurance policy than... Yeah, because that, that first ability, ignoring the, like, the Anger of the Gods trigger you can get off of her, that first ability enters the battlefield with Flash at uh, 5 mana. She's got Flying and Vigilance and makes all your stuff indestructible, that's a lot of stuff on one card. If she didn't transform, if she was just a 4-4 for 5 with Flash Flying Vigilance and gives all your creatures indestructible, she'd totally be worth it on her own. Yeah, like, this is just a... This card is super solid. And I think I finally found a Boros General that interests me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's one color that I've always kind of wanted to build but never had a real driving reason to. Yes. So I'm kind of excited to try this out. Yeah, it is definitely super cool. Uh, the one thing I will say is that I prefer her in a, de- in a deck as opposed to the general, just because she has Flash. Just because I, I like that surprise factor, your opponent not being able to see it. Sure. You can also use this as a Rattlesnake card, though, too, if it's your general. Like, just, you really want to waste your Wrath of God? Can your Wrath of God work if it's your Wrath of God plus me? Yep, absolutely. It's, uh, it is a really cool card. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about it. You, it, it, no one is going to try trading with you if every time you go to combat you have five mana open. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead, pick whatever blocks you want. <laughs> yep. Uh, obviously a cool card. Obviously one we're both excited to get our hands on and tinker with. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we move on to the last spoiled, uh, legendary creature? The one that I'm very excited to get my hands on and yeah. tinker with? This feels like your jam. Go ahead. All right, and I'm just going to point out something that my buddy said to me, and it's absolutely true. Stupidest name, but this is Olivia, mobilized for war. Uh, it is the. It was also how flavor uh, lovers, all the Vorthos out there, it is worth noting that this is how um, 
magic revealed to us that some vampires have gone feral and the other ones are getting ready to wage a war. We don't know if it's against the angels. We don't know if it's against humanity. We don't know if it's against the other feral vampires. But there's literally an army of vampires suiting up right now, which is crazy. Uh, but Olivia Mobilized for War is one and Rakdos, so she costs three in total. She's a legendary creature, Vampire Knight now. Uh, she's a flying 3-3, just like old Olivia. And she has, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may discard a card. If you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. It gains haste until end of turn, and it becomes a vampire in addition to its other types. This is so cool. I was going to say, this is just your jam. Like, there's so much neat stuff you can do with this. Um, You can play it as a straight aggro deck. You can play it with reanimator and madness shenanigans in it. You can play it as a tribal vampire deck that runs a couple other cards that you want to turn into tribal vampire to get the benefit of all your lords using your uh, using that ability. It is a really, really cool card. And it's a 3-3 flyer for three. It's big for its cost, and it's imminently recastable. And that, that ability, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and give it haste. Think about how many creatures there are in Rakdos colors that become infinitely more scary if they get haste. Murderous Redcap? What? <laughs> Oh yeah, well, of, murderous red cap has to. Of course, I I immediately have to go the combo route with it. I can't just enjoy the fact that. Well, it's like that's not an infinite combo because you aren't you have cards in your hand that you have to discard, right? Yes, but you can definitely like. You could definitely mess around a bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, Inferno Titan, scary. Master of Cruelties, scary. Stuff like that, you can you can give lots of creatures that aren't meant to attack right away the ability to attack right away, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, so I love generals that give haste, even if this isn't the general in your deck. There's a lot of decks that will love this as a haste enabler for their general, or if they are playing for reanimate. And if you want to make a madness deck, this is the card to make a madness deck with. Yeah. Marchessa kind of wants this card, too. Like, cards that care about plus one, plus one counters? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is, it, like, super great general, super great uh, member of the 99. They just knocked it out of the park with this card. And they fixed her feet. Like, it no longer has that weird, like, the old Olivia Valdaran art, you know what I'm talking about? Where you can't see her feet, really? Well, you've got, like, like the, the, the weird, like, I think she has three legs. Yes. Okay, yeah, I got that. You can clearly see her legs in this one, probably intentionally. Yeah. Although I want to say that sword doesn't look particularly effective. Most of that sword is absent space. Right. I feel like that sword probably, like, is full of magic and stuff. Like... I hope so. Yeah, like, that. that's not a very effective fighting weapon there. Yeah, that's that, that sword's full of magic and a lot of air. I'm sure it's very light. Sure. That, that, that must be a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> But you can tell Olivia's uh, for serious this time because she did her hair up in a ponytail. Yeah. When a girl who's always got her hair d- down does it up in a ponytail, you're in for something. You're in, uh, you, you, you need to be wary. Yeah. Run! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited about this card. And uh, I cannot wait to tinker with it. Yeah. So. That should be yours. Pardon? Oh, I'm saying that sh- that seems like your card. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh. I just don't know whether she goes in a deck or as the general to a deck yet. 
Either way, I'll be happy though. I will. I'm buying one when it comes out. Yeah. Although it could be crazy expensive. She because this card is definitely standard competitive. Yeah, probably. Like of these, it's probably the well. I don't know if it's that or Avacyn. It's gonna be the most standard play. I bet they're both C standard play. Yeah. Cool. So why don't you tell the folks what we're arguing about today? Sure. What we're doing is talking about uh, the best plane in Magic. And Mm -hmm. we've kind of, that's that's a very hard thing to codify, so we've kind of given ourselves some descriptions about it and kind of how we're going to kind of draw it out. Um, For us, the best plane in Magic means the one that is the best representation of Magic, is the best, it has to be enjoyable to play, it has to actually talk about what magic is um mm-hmm. and i and it has to help me out here Eric. what else does the best plane in magic have to have the best plane in magic is approachable enough to show new players what magic is about but is deep enough and unique enough to have its own identity and interest to experienced players uh it is a plane that has interesting characters and stories that evolve they don't stay stagnant. It's not. Uh, it's not a constant state. Uh, one constant status quo. The plane is changing with the times. Um, and then on top of that, it's mostly, honestly, personal preference. From there, it's like, do you want something that is super flavorful and narrow, but you feel represents magic as a whole? Do you want something that's uh, a little bit more, maybe less flavorful, but more um, re- like crunch? Heavy, very interesting rules and stuff like that. Very interesting in the way that the plane changes the way the game is played. So, unfortunately for you folks, we had a fun guessing game last time to figure out which side each of us were arguing on. Because we didn't actually know from the modern planes which ones that each of us had cast our vote for. And uh, we now know the answer to that question. Sure. So what I thought we would do first, I thought we would kind of slow roll you guys as the audience and go through some ones we didn't pick and why we didn't pick them. Absolutely. Uh, there's a great chance to get out your little bingo card and try to guess which one we're going to guess. Um, for the record, we only included either planes that were in the main storyline of Magic or in supplemental and corset settings. We didn't choose, like, the ones from the 20-year-old Magic comments or, like... Bolus's meditation realm, or was it show up on just a single plane chase plane? Nope, we we didn't include any of those. If you, basically, if you want to count the sets that we go from Old Mirrodin on, we include any plane that appears in Old Mirrodin forward. Uh, we we included. In fairness, we I incl- in my in my list I included some of the ones that are old in that. Just discounted them pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. We aren't going to be talking about Rabia or Sarah's Realm or original Phyrexia. It's just, they have been left alone for so long that to suggest that they are the best would be to raise a lot of questions of what they even are anymore. Sure. Um, to, to knock some of those out really quick, like, um, like, I, like, Dominaria is a cool plane. Is the birthplace of magic the first... 10 years of magic storytelling happened all on that plane. Absolutely. The problem is, is that pretty much between <clears throat> the end of the Phyrexian invasion and the, uh, the Time Spiral series, it's kind of in a junk heap right now. 
Yeah, it is. It is the multiverse's garbage fire. It is like Mad Max plane. Everything is destroyed. Everything's all messed up. Last time we saw it, they had just finished mending that would allow it to heal. But it hasn't. It wasn't like Zendikar, where like, oh, the Eldrazi are gone. Look, everything's green and growing immediately. No, this this place is messed up, and it's going to take years for it to recover. Um, not to mention the fact that. Dominaria had, if you want to talk about Dominaria to a new player, or even a magic veteran who just doesn't keep track of the story, you're, you've got 10 plus years of canon to talk about for people to understand Dominaria, really. Mm-hmm. So. It has the same problem that I, I always say it has the same problem that Doctor Who has. Yes. Is that the people who like Doctor Who love Doctor Who for all the in jokes and references and stuff like that, but there's just so much stuff to get through. Yes. To get to where you're, competent with the lore that it's really unapproachable for new people in it is incredibly um what is the word i'm looking for incredibly high barrier to entry sure uh so i think that this is a conversation that you cannot have without mentioning dominaria but you mention dominaria i don't think you pick it as the best plane sure um to not have some of these ones that were from old sets like robbie is fun but it's basically like has the problem of being based on the Thousand One Nights. Like, mm-hmm. like it literally has material, like, there's Aladdin and Simbad and Shahrazad, like, actual named characters. Like, like we are talking copyright infringement levels of bases on Arabian Nights, uh, Thousand One Nights. Yeah. Um, Ulgratha is a plane. It's where Homelands happened. Mm-hmm. Like, there's Sarah's a- Realm. That's where Sarah hangs out. Yeah. Um... Old Phyrexia got blown up by a bunch of planeswalkers. Again, this is part of Old Phyrexia. It kind of falls into that trap of Dominaria. Yes. it Like, Old Phyrexia barely, it is barely relevant outside of Dominaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcadia is... Feels like... I was thinking about this after we recorded. Marcadia... I feel like everything they did with Marcadia is done better with Fiora now. Absolutely. Fiora has completely supplanted... Uh, Mercadia mm-hmm. as and, the kind of Renaissance plane. Sure, and Wrath is a neat uh, Wrath is a neat concept, I would say. Like, but again, completely tied up in Dominaria. Yeah, like almost like a, a footnote to Dominaria. Mm-hmm. So that kind of knocks out a bunch of the old ones. Um, mm-hmm. So then we then we kind of have the opposite problem of knocking out ones that are either too new and we don't know enough about. Exactly. So in the in the don't know enough about, we threw in Vryn, Kaladesh, and Ragatha together. These are planes that we know about because planeswalkers either come from there or live there now. Vryn is where Jace comes from. Kaladesh is where uh, Chandra comes from. Ragatha is where Chandra currently hangs out. We know barely anything about these planes. We haven't seen a lot of cards from these planes. They've been talked about in lore, but mechanically... There's not enough to interest us yet, and yeah. they have never had a set uh, set there. That being said, if we ever do a return to Kaladesh, I'm totally in. Like, I love that. Kaladesh is really cool. Yeah, the little bit we've seen of it looks cool. I just want more. Mm-hmm. And it would be very interesting, maybe not Kaladesh uh, in this way, because Chandra, I guess, has kind of made her peace with that place. But if we got, like, going to Vryn for some some plane like if the big the big confronting uh Bolas set where the storyline was just about Bolas and the plane was kind of irrelevant if they did that on Vryn and had Jace like discovering stuff about his past that he'd already like chosen to forget like because that 
Chase gave himself amnesia. So it, it, that would be super, super cool. Yeah, I would agree. Um, also joining the planes we don't know enough about to make cool, uh, say is the best plane. <clears throat> Shandalar hits that thing. Shandalar is neat. Like, we, we know little pieces of it. It was kind of the go-to. We don't have a place this fits, so we're going to say it happened on Shandalar. Um, yeah. It's also the one time Magic has had a really good video game. Yep, yeah, well, some of the recent video games are okay, but, like, Shandal the, the game set on Shandalar was more than okay. It was, like, it was good. good. People people go back and play it still. Yeah. Um, It also, as a concept... Not in terms of flavor, but in terms of, like, what it's supposed to be is super cool, in that it is a rogue plane just kind of fl- hurtling through the multiverse in the Blind Eternities. It doesn't have, like, an orbit. It doesn't have... It, it, it's like, if anyone knows what a rogue planet is, Chandelar is a rogue plane, which is super cool. Uh, However, and, like, cool stuff is coming out of it. The Chain Veil comes from Chandelar, uh, but it's very generic. And we don't actually know a whole lot about it. Like, we haven't had a modern setting where people fight on Chandelar. We, like, we know that that's where planeswalkers go for some cool mana. We know the names of some of the regions and some of the, like, factions mm-hmm. in them. But we, not enough to get a picture. I know that there's, like, the Zathrid fa- faction on Chandelar. I don't know who they like or hate. Mm-hmm. And... Adding to this list, and this one pains me because I love the flavor of this plane. This plane is cool. I, I love the kind of, like, like I said, this plane is Marcadia done way better. I love the kind of Machiavellian Italy Renaissance feel to it, and that's Fiora. Mm-hmm. Someday this will be my favorite plane. But For those of you who don't know, Fiora is the conspiracy plane. Yeah, it's... I love everything about it. I just don't know enough about it to be able to say this is the best. Uh, uh, ever, nor do I think I ever will. Like, yeah, exactly. To be honest, I think it will always be in like supplemental products, and while that's fine, it does make me sad. Yeah, it is. It's a super cool plane. I really, really like it. Uh, I love the way they try and execute, or the way they execute it. Um, super colorful characters: Marchesa, Grenzo, Doretti, Dak Faden. Brago all come from Fiora. Mm-hmm. But again, we are kind of intentionally left not knowing that much about it now. We may learn a lot more with this new conspiracy set, though. Mm-hmm. But I feel like until we have a traditional, like, legal and standard set of magic cards there, I feel like we won't know enough about it to be able to say, that one, that's the best one. See, I don't agree with that. I think that Fiora's problem will end up being that it is very much the Game of Thrones plane where it's about political power and intrigue and everyone's playing within the rules. There's not really Savage Lands or anything like that. So it's going to become kind of a specialized plane, which is another category of planes that we kind of exempted from the list, because if a plane is really good at doing one thing, that's awesome. But it's only awesome in the context of knowing that there's so many other planes you can go to to get different things. Sure. Like, if you were to see, let, let's give some common examples of this one. Um, Like, uh, Kamigawa. If you're yeah. into that Asian culture, if you're into that as a thing, then great. That's, you know, that may be, that may not be the best example. Mirrodin is probably the best example of this. Mm. Mir- where, Mirrodin slash New Phyrexia. Yeah. Like, that plane is so set up to be so different than every other plane, in that it's one of those ones where, in this world, Shatter is better than Terror. Where, yep. in most places, Terror is the better card. 
Yep. And it is a very different place that plays by very different rules. And it's cool because of that, but it's only cool because we have so much contrast provided by the other planes. Another good example of this and one of Nolan and I's favorite planes is Innistrad. Yep. Innistrad is an amazing plane. It's one of my favorites. I could not be I am more excited for going back to Innistrad than I was for going back to Zendikar personally. I think that probably it's better for Magic as a whole that we went back to Zendikar than Innistrad, but Innistrad is one of my favorite planes for completely personal reasons, but it's only cool because Innistrad is so different from Chandelar. Yep, and I did mention Kamigawa. I'd also like to Kamigawa kind of falls into the other plane of it has to be enjoyable to play. I like, think Kamigawa gets a bad rap. I think Kamigawa, Kamigawa was Limited plenty... was awful. Well, Kamigawa, I didn't play Limited when Kamigawa came out, so I, I didn't experience that. Like, like there's your your long-term, like, card quality to... Like, I don't want to say, like, it has to be full of Eternal Staples, but, like, the cards that see play out of... Like, there has to be something that carried out of this plane into the greater magic hole. And the card, like, there are a few cards from Kamigawa where from... Literally every other plane on the list has more cards, with the exception of maybe one? Uh, maybe. But I will say that the cards from Kamigawa that stuck, really stuck. We owe Kamigawa for Sensei's Divining Top, Umizawa's Jite, Kiki Jiki, Kokusho... All, all kind of staple cards. Sure, like, but it had it's it's five or six as opposed to almost every other plane here has a dozen or more. Okay, sure, like, I'd say that. Like to me, Kamigawa, amongst its numerous other problems of being too flavorful and too that has the problem of low enough impact. Yeah, that's fair. And I think a similar plane that has those both those similar problems, which is still a plane that I really enjoy that I actually did enjoy, was Theros. Yep. Thoroughly enjoyed Theros, uh, but if I was told that we were never going back there, I'm not sure how much I'd care. Ah, uh, I want I want a resolution to Elspeth's story. Yeah, right. exactly. That that's it. Yeah. Like if if I I would rather see Elspeth the zombie planeswalker show up on another plane doing Erebos's bidding, then I'd go then see her back on Theros. Sure. Um, um. I guess what I'm saying is if I had to go through Theros to get Elspeth's resolution, I'd be willing to do that, but. But it seems like a chore, right? Sure. Like, Theros is the kind of thing that once you got it, like, once, mm-hmm. don't really need it again. Yeah. And it was it was fine for what it was. It was good for the people who really get into Greek and Roman culture. Like Super cool. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it did a lot more for you than even, like, me, but... Yeah, and, like, it's... Lore-wise, it's extremely relevant. Home plane of uh, both Gideon and um, Elspeth. But, uh, no, it wasn't Elspeth's home plane. Oh, it wasn't her home plane? It was just, like, important to her? No, uh, she went there, Elspeth's history in a nutshell, she was on some plane where she was getting tortured by the Phyrexians. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and she is- went to Bant. Bant was her home plane, that's where we met her, where she had adopted the convergence in Vant, drastically changed Alara, and she's like, this isn't where I want to be anymore. Found Theros and the chivalry and knighthood stuff there and said, this is it. And then talked to a god, became a god's champion, that god killed her, welcome to present day. Oof. That grossly well, over-exaggerated, that's a gross, uh... Oversimplification. Especially of Act 3 of Elspeth's story, but yes. Yeah. The, okay, well then, but, like, still more relevant. It is, it is, uh, Gideon's home place, or, uh, birthplace, and Elspeth's burial ground. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, but I feel like it's, like, we care much more about the characters than about the actual plane. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of a place where we care a lot more about the characters than the actual plane, Tarkir's cool, but... <laughs> yeah, that, that had that same problem. And Tarkir had... Tarkir is definitely, in, like, let, like, let's be honest, there are five left, and in fairness... I am sure that if our favorites weren't still on this list, both of us would have called them out by now. Yeah. Like, like I would not, like, in my mind, one of these sticks out glaringly so more than the other four. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's the one that Eric likes, and I'm sure Eric feels the same way. Yes, like, absolutely. For those of you who have lost track, the five we have left are Ravnica, Lorwyn, Alara, Zendikar, and Tarkir. Yep. We know. We both know there's one that we're probably supposed to pick that we didn't. But yep, like there, I'd say that there's there's yeah, there's two left that we both could have any of those four. I could easily see us arguing for I like I would not get upset at any of us arguing either of us arguing for any of those four. Sure. But but back on to the topic of Tarkir. Tarkir yeah. is great, but Tarkir has the Tarkir definitely has the change I want to see. Like we go from a wedge world to a color pairs world and the con to dragons. The problem for me, I think, is that it's all about Ugin. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the... kind of all about Sark and all about Ugin, but... Yeah, but, like, it, it, it's only interesting in the greater scheme of the multiverse in that Ugin might be there. It's like the first set is, let's go see if Ugin's here. The second set is, well, Ugin was here, so let's go to the past to see if Ugin's here now. And then it's like, oh, yeah, third set. Ugin's definitely here, guys. There he is. I can see him. Look, guys, it's Ugin. Yeah, go back in time. Save Ugin, release Ugin for Act Three. You know um, what my other problem with Tarkir is? Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the phased out of existence former Tarkir is cooler than current Tarkir. Uh, I kind of agree. I I think that a a dual color based world ruled by dragons is less interesting than the wedge based world that's where everyone's fighting over the bones of dead dragons. That's cool to me. And I think for part of that is that, because we had never had wedges before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's easily part of it. Sure. And Darkir definitely brought toys to the party. Like, mm-hmm. you have, you know, I, I we always go to Angleshanker, but when you look at, like, there's Zergo, uh, there's uh, Anna Fenza, Narset. Narset, like, there's, there's the first time Sarkin Vol was cool. Ugin? Ugin is in that set. Like, there's a lot of cool cards that carry over and a lot of cool stuff that happens on Tarkir. Yes. But it's about the characters and not the plane. Exactly. Zergo is more interesting than Tarkir. Sure. Like, it's it, the characters we meet on the plane. And this might be a testament to Magic's improved writing ability. Uh, the characters we meet on the plane are less interesting than the plane itself. Which is not true of the next plane I'm going to mention. Because this next place is a place where the characters are very interesting, and the plane itself is also very interesting. But it does have one glaring problem that we can't ignore, and I'm talking about Zendikar. Yep. Yeah, Zendikar has super cool characters, has uh, a very cool story that does progress, uh, and is very representative of everything you see in Magic. It has undead, it has goblins, it has elves, it has dragons, it's got sphinxes and angels and demons, it's got giant things that swim in the ocean. It is a diverse, interesting plane, and absolutely would have been my first pick 
if it wasn't for the fact that everything on Zendikar is now about the Eldrazi. Mm-hmm. Which, in fairness, is fine. It's as it should be. Like that. Absolutely. You have literal like gods walking amongst mortals. It it should be about that. Yes. But the issue is that it makes it again more awkward and approach and less approachable. More. It makes it more about the story and more about again that than the plane. Exactly. Uh. If we hadn't just had Battle for Zendikar, where it was, again, all about the Eldrazi, I still might have picked Zendikar. Because that would mean that I'm left with the original block, where two out of the three sets had nothing to do with the Eldrazi. Mm-hmm. But, as it stands, everything that happens on Zendikar, everything involved in Zendikar, has to be seen through the lens of the Eldrazi. And right now, Zendikar is just kind of everyone against, Team A against Team B. Everyone fighting the Eldrazi. And it was much more interesting and much cooler when it was all these diverse factions vying for power, trying to survive, doing their thing amid all these strange ruins with these floating hedrons and there's traps and weird arcane magic and goblins are getting turned into golems and there's vampires with horns coming out of their shoulders. And that was all super, super cool stuff. And now that we have the answers to basically all the questions... It's less interesting and less cool. Mm. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and prepare to get yelled at. Oh yeah, yeah, the fan favorite that we're going to yeah. uh, we're going to turn the cold shoulder to. Ready the flak jacket because okay because Eric and I have very similar thoughts about the plane of Ravnica. Yep, and uh, to be fair. Those similar thoughts are that it's one of our favorite planes. Yes, I love Ravnica. I love the I love that you have ten color pairs, none of which are just like the default good guys. Yes. Um, I love how it becomes very much a kind of marquee of if you were you know looking at your regular society. Um, you know the courts are Azorius, but the lawyers are Orzov. The police are Boros. The mm-hmm. um stuff like like it gives you a very straight feel to it yes and everything feels very real life there's not a lot of black and white good and evil sometimes there is Mm -hmm. sometimes there's things you can objectively point to and be like no that that's pure evil and sometimes you're you can point to things and be like that person's a saint but for the most part it's kind of people just living their life trying to serve their interests or their family's interests trying to help themselves or the guy beside them and trying to survive in this plane-sprawling uh, plane metropolis. Mm-hmm. And for for me, at least, uh, <clears throat> it's also, like, the actual idea of Ravnica, as far as a whole giant, like, sweeping cityscape that covers an entire plane, is neat. Absolutely. Very, I think that's super cool. It's very different than any other plane we see. It's cool. Yeah, and it, it, the, the way that it changes the variety of the landscapes is very cool. Because uh, although it doesn't have full art lands, which is basically what everyone pays attention to when it comes to fancy lands, the lands in Ravnica are very unique and very cool and instantly identifiable as a Ravnican. Because all of them are a twist on what you'd expect. Swamps are all sewers and drainage ditches and stuff like that, because it's the kind of swamp you could find in a city. Islands are all like water docks and uh, and, and like collected uh, water filtration plants and stuff like that. The mountains are just kind of hot, high buildings. 
and the the plains are just kind of flatter maybe more populated kind of uh suburban centers so it's it is everything that we it, it it's all the flavor we expect from magic red is red and black is black but it is in a new and unexpected way mm-hmm. which is all great here's yes. why here's the the counterpoint and the reason why it didn't make either one of our lists because you could take a picture of Ravnica and you could not tell which set it was from. <laughs> sure. Ravnica never changes, which in a way gives you kind of an anchor point for storytelling, which I'm sure is great for creative. Like if they just need a general like place for people to meet, Ravnica is great. Cause you say, mm. Insert random guild hall here and you're good. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that the first Ravnica stories came out almost 10 years ago now. And, and they're... yeah, it's the same thing. Orzov's still like money and run churches. Azorius are still the courts. Yep. And the like the guilds are always gonna do the same things. Uh they like they actually had to write in a reason for the Demir to remain secret. Because it's so important that the guilds do the same thing that e- the the Demir were originally a mythical guild or uh like a a semi-mythical guild they did not people did not know whether the dimir actually existed and a lot of people said that they didn't and part of the twist in the original ravnica storyline is like boo the dimir actually exist then when you do return to ravnica they had to sell people the idea that the dimir dissolved and don't exist anymore just so you can go back to people saying that the dimir don't exist Sure, or being kind of the open secret keepers. Yeah. Like, you would have Demir shops now that would sell demir things, secrets, poison, stuff like that, and are just a public front for secret things. Yes. And it's just like, it. the storyline is always, uh-oh, something's going to happen to the Guild Pact. Something, the storyline is literally, uh-oh, the status quo might change. And no matter what happens over the course of that storyline, even despite six sets, the status quo never changes. Yep. You, uh, it is a. Um, I said something last. It, it, it is a picture. It is a plane that makes an amazing picture, but a rather poor video. Yeah, that that squares it up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love Ravnica. Ravnica is a cool plane, but it just it's stuck so it's kind of boring yeah it's it's inertia is its downfall absolutely which brings us to the last two folks at home we have lorwyn shadowmoor and alara and uh these are the ones that noel and i sponsored as the best planes one sponsoring one and one arguing for the other take a moment and guess who did which there you go you've had your moment yeah and uh, then flip, and then flip them because as soon as you hear who said what you're not going to believe us <laughs> absolutely okay who uh who shall open up with their arguments how about you noel i'll let you take the honors sure i picked alara and my reasons for it are this is first of all everything you want in a game of magic and the things you associate with magic are in alara if you want some zombies like reanimator undead action we have that in grixis do you want an artifact theme we have it in Esper. Do you want dragons? We got them in spades and Jund. We are lousy with big, dumb beaters in Naya. It's a truly a plane that does a great job of showing a microcosm of magic. Um, I love that there are cool characters that are either from or introduced to us in Alara. Like, Alara was the first time we saw Nicol Bolas as the big bad. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have this is the first time we saw the evolution of a planeswalker in a Johnny. This is where we met Sarkin, Elspeth, and Tezzeret, who are characters that are still relevant, though Tezzeret less so recently. Um, like, but I love that even though there's all these cool characters, it was still about the the plane itself. I love the fact that it's had a solid impact on Magic beyond that. When you think of Alara cards, you think of Path to Exile. If you're a tournament player, you think of uh, of the first modern reprint of Terminate. You think of Maelstrom Pulse. Um, Bloodbraid Elf. Bloodbraid Elf, uh, for good or for bad, with the Cascade mechanic. Um, you also think of like like the big splashy like cruel ultimatum and stuff like that. You've got kind of a, a something for everybody as far as the planes go. And then mm-hmm. I love that we have a cool like the story of Alara is cool. It gives you this cool dichotomy of what would the world be like without red and green mana, and you get to see that and experience that combined with, okay, now you have these societies, what happens when they get slammed together? You know, when the Ethereum mages of Esper start seeing these zombies from Grixis, even though they share that, what happens when I add red and take out white? Um, So you have this cool, like, evolution of story into this giant conflict, and I feel like Alara still has story left to tell. Like, they could return to Alara, and I don't think people would be upset in the fact that you've got still kind of some unresolved, like, that world rebuilding is a cool story to me. Mm. So, my arguments against Alara, um, I have two kind of overarching problems with uh, Alara, and one of them is given to me by hindsight. The The first is that when you're playing Alara, in the way that they... One is a problem that is only comes up looking back at Alara, and one was a problem that was during Alara. And that is that the three sets of Alara feel very much the same to me. Um, part of the problem with that is that the ultimate culmination of the shards converging is supposed to be, oh look, these sets have... Or these, these different factions now have to interact with each other. Isn't that going to be crazy? But they start off giving you all five factions in Shards of Alara, so you've been playing games for two sets of these factions interacting anyway. So it's a really big moment where the lore has finally caught up to what we were already mechanically doing. Um, And because of that, Alara to me has a lot of the same feel of stagnation that Ravnica has. It's, it's through all three sets, it's like, these are the shards, and look, they're getting closer and closer, they're touching, and now they're touching at the edges, but no shard is destroyed, no shard is separated, no shard is really changed, it's just that its edges now have to contend with these other shards. Um, and then the second thing that bugs me is probably something that, if you had asked me about it at the time, I would have said was a ridiculous statement, but looking back on Alara now, it is too generic for me. And it's probably because Alara set that kind of standard ground point for what these three shards do. And every time we've seen cards in these three shards since then, it has played off of Alara. And a lot of the cards we've seen have been even set uh, straight from Alara. Uh, so it's just almost too boring to me. The novelty has worn off. Um, which is unfortunate, because the first time that they revealed shards, if they, like, I I wasn't playing when the shards came out, but if, at that time, if I had been like, 
this is what Esper does. Black, white, and blue are the artifact colors. They play with artifacts. That's what they do. That would have been really cool to me. And the introduction of, like, this is Jund. It sacrifices creatures and plays with its graveyard in order to give its other creatures or you a boost. That's what Jund does. Um, That might have been, like, very novel. And it would have been very cool. But over time, it just hasn't aged well. It has become so just a generic assumption of every player that I feel like the shards have lost all of their unique flavor to the rest of Magic. I don't know that I agree with that in that, <clears throat> like, the, the shards are definitely built around tropes, but all of Magic is. Like, all I of agree. the, like, I mean, Red does the same thing in everything. This is just an ex- expansion of that. Like, it's a, your issue there is with the color pie, and specifically that the more colors you add to the color pie, the more specific it has to be. I I disagree because one of my one of my points for the best uh for the best plane had to be that it was unique enough that it stood out and was interesting, and my I it doesn't have to be completely unique. It just has to have enough unique flavor that it stands out and is interesting to me. And Alara fails to meet that. There's lots of planes we've already passed over that do meet that. I felt like like uh, Innistrad is a really good example where the colors feel unique and different. Or Mirrodin is another great example of colors feeling unique and different. Even on Ravnica, I would say that the colors feel very unique and very different because you look at the comparison and there's a lot there's a lot more points of comparison. You can look at red in Rakdos and see how very different it is from red in Gruul, which is very, very different from red in Is It. Uh, I think that with only five things to compare it to, it just, it's a little simple, it's a little generic, and it's kind of been done to death at this point. I think I disagree in that, like, how different shards use different colors was pretty drastically different too. How Esper used black versus how Grixis uses black is very different. Like, like you can't say that's a good thing in Ravnica and say it's a bad thing in Alara. It's it, the reason it's a good thing in Ravnica is that in Ravnica you have five other points of or four other co- points of comparison. You have half as many in Alara. For each black plane in Alara, you compare you can compare it to two. For each black guild in Ravnica, you can compare it to four. Sure, I mean there's more points of progress there, but it's still it's still literally the the comparison is still how does it get used by one group versus another there's just less data points the there. other thing is that the guilds are not representative of what those colors always do whereas in the shards they are re- the shards are representative of what those colors always seem to do rakdos is not how red black always behaves it is not always breakneck aggro you can make really great rakdos control decks there's a lot of planes where rakdos is much more themed on removal and control but in ravnica it's breakneck aggro uh boros is legion on ravnica it is not legion on other planes innistrad is not about a a going wide Boros. It would much rather go big Boros, which is not a thing on Ravnica. So these these guilds are unique in comparison to each other, but they are also in unique in comparison to the rest of the planes. I don't feel like there's any uniqueness for Esper on Esper 
as composed to anything I've seen out of Esper in other places. Even looking at, like, the decks they made, if you told me that Oloro came from Esper, I'd believe you. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and this is not the fault of the original printing, it's the fault of what Magic has done since then. Sure, and I think that's going to happen just because of three colors. Like, I think the same thing would happen if we did a return, like, not necessarily return to Tarkir, but cards printed printed by, cards printed in the future that are white, black, and green will do stuff similar to Abzan, because that's what Abzan can do. Um, that's, that might be true. That, that could very well just be an unavoidable hazard of picking three colors. However, that's the reason I didn't pick a three-color plane as my favorite plane. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into your plane. I picked, coming way out of left field, Lorwyn Shadowmore. And it was neck and neck with Zendikar. But Lorwyn Shadowmore pulled it out just barely. Um... The reason I picked Lorwyn Shadowmoor was because it's simply satisfied all the criteria that other planes got checked off of my list for. Um, it is very representative of magic in that it has all the tribes present. There's undead or undead facsimiles. There is lots of merfolk. There's dragons. There's angels. There's demons. But there's also elves and goblins. There, all the traditional things are here. But they all feel very specifically Lorwyn. The goblins from Lorwyn feel like specifically Lorwyn goblins. They're friggin' crazy. They look like cartoon characters almost in the way that they uh, not just uh, look but behave. Um, they're massively destructive. They're always getting into trouble. Uh, they're kind of an underfoot nuisance. Um, and the elves on Lorwyn feel very different from other elves. They're super haughty and arrogant to the point of like looking down on every other race and attacking them on sight. The and then all of this changed when they brought it to Shadowmoor. And then we got another look at all these things through a different lens, which is super super cool. Um the the plane is interesting Lore-wise, not necessarily, like, super important to the rest of the multiverse. It's, like, it is where we got introduced to Planeswalkers for the first time as cards. Uh, it, it And it is, like, supposed to be, like, a seek-out spot and a vacation spot for... Or, like, an idyllic paradise for Planeswalkers to seek out. The um, Nyssa has some story involved here. But the bigger, like, lore benefit of Lorwyn is that Lorwyn was one of the last amazing magic stories before this kind of glut of bad canon uh that was in a a very dark ages period for magic's lore before they kind of got their craft together in the last couple years um so i like all of that uh and like that the big thing is just that the the big thing is that lorwyn is representative of magic as a whole in a unique way you it, it is what I mentioned before, all those elves and goblins, but uniquely elves, uh, or uniquely Lorwyn Shadowmoor, elves and goblins. And also that I still feel wonder when I look at stuff at Lorwyn. I look at stuff at Lorwyn and I'm like, I'm caught off guard, I don't really know what to expect out of it. Uh, and I, I still try and figure out stuff that I see from Lorwyn. And I don't get that with a lot of other magic anymore. It is a little bit off a beaten path, uh, however, I think it's still close enough to magic canon that it doesn't, it, it it isn't like so clearly not traditional magic in the same way that Innistrad or Mirrodin is, but it's far enough off the beaten path that you get 
super, super crazy cool-looking stuff. Like the Deus of Calamity, Vigor, Hostility, just these cool, crazy, different um, card designs and art designs that make things feel so unique and flavorful. And uh, I love it. I think that if you looked at like the Deus Deity cycle from uh, Lorwyn Shadowmoor, uh, there everyone is every one of them is very unique and amazing. Uh, I think that if you looked at all the incarnations, they're all super unique and cool looking. Um, I, I like that basically everything they did with it. Mm. So now into my counterpoint. Okay. Um, my I I have two big things that I I don't like about Laurel and Shadowmore. Um, the first one is that magic in a way is supposed to be self-insert. Like you're supposed to be able to see this is my character, and I think that players look for that. Um, and I think not just and and Planeswalker is the obvious example of this, but also they look for other characters they can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. like you want to be the guy riding the siege rhino and you want to be yeah. the guy, you know, standing in the Orzov council meeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Lorwyn has no human characters and very few even like humanoid characters. Like the, I wouldn't say few humanoid, well, no, but no, no, you're but, right. No humans. Yeah. But, but as far as like the typical person can identify with really elves are your only option in there. Like, yes. like the the goblins and the Kithkin really aren't options as far as, like, creatures I'm supposed to, ad- I, or the elementals really, are not supposed to be ones that are, like, I can't see myself as an elemental in Lorowin. I can see myself riding a siege rhino in Tarkir. And that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I think losing that is a huge important. The other one is that the I don't like the art style in Lorowin, that it feels like it's not magic art. It all kind of has this cartoony sense to it. Now, it gets better. Admittedly, like, the Shadowmoor Eventide stuff feels more like magic cards, but even some of those are... They they have kind of this cartoony art aesthetic that, to me, doesn't feel like magic art. It feels like... It reminds me of... I'm trying to remember some other, like, high fantasy games that have come out and kind of come and gone. It's very, it, it, it's very like old school grim fairy tales fably. Sure. Like it's not, it's very old European fantasy. Yeah. It has, it has kind not of a token fantasy, like old European fantasy with sure. the fae and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It has kind of a, I, I'm trying to find a word that's not childlike or childish. Like, and like, admittedly, childish is the right word for as far as like the Loro and Morning Tide cards. Like where it's goblins stealing pies and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it's it's very fairy tale. Sure, and and admittedly, like the the part I do like about that set is the changeover, like how you can see kind of like darker, kind of Grimm's grimmest versions of the mm. cards we saw there. But like even the even the scary looking cards in Shadowmoor aren't that scary look. Like they still have that kind of cartoony style that, to me as a player, makes me take like. It's hard for me to take the cards from Shadowmoor seriously because of kind of the cartoons of it. I think that's part of the reason the set wasn't well received is that the art design that is so non-traditional. So for me, that kind of pulls it out. And then just that lack of the ability to kind of get immersed in the plane because you don't have uh, like there's nothing for there's no one in there that's the obvious analog to being me. Mm. And it kind of loses my sense of 
where do I fit in in this world? There's no place for me as the human male planeswalker that I am, according to magic, for me to step into that into that place. From a Vorthos perspective, I have no commonality with anything on that plane. And to be fair, I believe my original argument against that statement was that it's meant to feel strange. It's meant to be like it, it's meant to be like Gulliver's Travels, where you show up and you're in a world so different from what you expect. It's supposed to be a stranger in a strange land. You're supposed to you're not supposed to feel like you belong here. You're supposed to feel like Marco Polo stumbling into Asia for the first time. Um, but that doesn't work when you're supposed to be the master of using these spells and using the creatures and stuff from this area. It doesn't work for me to say I'm in charge of it and I'm using it. And I don't belong with it. So I like Lorwyn Shadowmore. I uh, I think that it is unique and fun while still retaining enough of what makes magic magic for me. Uh, and you like? I like Alara in the sense that it's got a it it has kind of the a microcosm of all that is magic while having a good story good historical significance to magic as a whole, and it generally kind of cool, uh, cool, I don't say geography, but a cool landscape in which to explore. All right. Hashtag so... make Alara great again. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, God, we're doing that. Yes, we're doing uh... that. We're gonna, we're... <laughs> all right, everyone, our plan is, if you agree with me, to go on Twitter, and all you have to do is send Eric hashtag make Alara great again. Do not friggin' do that. Please, please send pictures of Alara block cards that matter or in a commander deck of yours. Hashtag make Alara great again. <laughs> all right. You had your fun. Um, but that's it for today, folks. Let us know in the comments below um, who you agree with or whether you disagree with us. If you think that Ravnica was the best plane, tell us. Um, and you can get a hold of either of us if you post in the comments below this episode. Uh, where else can they get a hold of you, Noel? If you would like to get a hold of me, my email is Noel Clausen, N-O-L-E-C-L-A-U-S-O-N, at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at at MTG Noel. Absolutely, and you can get a hold of me at our Facebook doc- uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash rivalsduel. You can get a uh, hold of me in the comments below this episode, or at my email at ericbonvi at gmail.com, E-R-I-C-B-O-N-V-I-E at gmail.com, or at that Bonvi guy on Twitter. Hashtag make Alara great again. <laughs> Don't, oh, I hate you. Oh, I love this game. Please, my, right. please, my three loyal listeners, help me troll Eric. <laughs> And that's it for today, folks. Uh, We're going to hang up, and I'm going to kill them all. Uh, Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.